people and hang out with people. I just wish you guys would get here and do that a little earlier. That's all. I'm just saying, church, I've only been here two years. So maybe I've misjudged and I can't see. But, man, like at 9.55, it's like, hello, 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 hello. Eric, Eric, Eric. We're like, we're doing church today, right? And then, like at 10.10, you guys just come storming in. It's like, okay, at work, 10 o'clock, 10.05 is... Anyways, that's not the message. Now you guys have thrown me all off. Okay, so we've been in this amazing series. I hope you guys have been part of this, part of our core beliefs. We call them our tent poles, right? And then last week we covered number six, and today I get to cover number seven and number eight. And I want to go forward on seven and eight because I am a guy who really loves baptism. If you guys know me and know my heart, salvation, baptism, really super exciting. Communion, I love that too. We're going to talk about that. But if we didn't talk about six last week and you weren't here last week, then everything starts and stops with God's word, right? If we don't think that God's word is the begin to all, the end all of everything that we have and do, then sometimes you hear words like purposes or practices or all these different things. Just for us, for Lighthouse, I, I feel like the one reason God has held this church so pure all these years is like it is a church that truly loves God's word. And, I, and that's the... That's how we move forward. That's what everything is based on. So if there's ever any questions about anything that happens in this building, ministry, service, anything like that, feel free on behalf of the elders, the staff, anyone else to come talk to us. We hold ourselves accountable to God's word. And because of that today, when I talk about baptism, communion, everything I resource based on verbiage is all God's word. I always tell people, when you ask me for opinion, you're not asking for Pastor Jeff's opinion. That's not what my job is for you. My job is when you ask for an opinion is to give you God's word. And if I don't have God's word, then I might just say, you know what? I'm not sure on that area. Let's just pray and ask the spirit of God to reveal that because that is ultimately our role is to embrace love and enjoy the fact that God's word is sufficient. The work that Jesus Christ himself has done is sufficient. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is sufficient. So not only we get to talk about baptism today, we get to talk about communion. So at the end of the service, when it comes to that communion time, as we're kind of working through both these different processes today, just keep taking deep breaths. I always try to make everything simple. I'm a fisherman, and because of that, I like things to be simple, something that everyone can understand. So um, if you haven't been here in the series, like I said, the core beliefs of the church, one through eight, and we use those core beliefs. We've been using this picture, which Pastor Eric or Brenda or somebody got. This is spectacular. We call it the idea of a tent pole, right? If you've ever been to a tent, a big top tent, if you don't have these foundational poles, right, there's not going to be the kind of support that that giant canvas needs. And so the tent poles not only become important, but they're the significant component of who we are. So each one of those kind of represents, I think the center pole for us for sure would be the word of God. And maybe today we can look at seven and eight as kind of being the cornerstones, The thing that everything hangs on, an opportunity for us to do something to remember who God is. Um, If you you haven't heard the word declaration, you're going to hear that this morning. And a declaration is something by Christ. The same word as maybe decree, right? And along with that, you're going to hear the word ordinance this morning. And for those of you that are military, that's not the same ordinance. (laughs) The ordinances are baptism and communion. So a more simple word for a simple guy like myself, is practice, right? And they're going to be the practices. They're going to be the things that we need to do on a regular basis. And when we do them, when we practice these things, we're going to have the opportunity to be strengthened by the resolve of who Christ is. 
Now, as a coach, I've coached for many, many years. I get nervous about when, you, when someone thinks, well, if I practice enough, I'm going to be perfect. So let me just clarify that nothing I've ever seen in coaching by practicing has made anyone perfect. As a matter of fact, I'm a pretty avid baseball player and coach. If you practice hitting every single day and made it to the major leagues, and you struck out seven times out of ten, but hit the ball and got on base three times, just a 300, you'd be considered a Hall of Famer. That's how difficult it is to actually hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball from 60 feet. And I think that's so important for us. When we practice these things, the goal of it is never to become perfect. The goal of the ordinance is, is permanence. Permanence. Now, that is a big difference. If I practice, practice, practice hitting the ball, what I'm developing is the permanence of that swing, right? And that's what gives me the chance to perform at that level. And that's so important for us. When we practice communion, when we practice baptism, when we do these things, as the um, communion table used to say, do this in remembrance of who? Christ, right? So him, do this in remembrance of him because we get to remember what he has done, not what we have done, not what we're going to do, or not what we're ever going to be. What he has done, we remember that when we practice those things, and that's the key. They're symbolic, okay? They're symbolic. Both communion and baptism are symbolic. They're not salvation. And because they're not salvation, we can't add or subtract to them. We can only accept them for what they are and what they mean. But as we walk through them this morning, I pray that what you would see is they may be symbolic, but they're so significant. Now, some people try to use baptism. Some people even try to use communion, different things for salvation. That's a misuse of God's word. And we're going to talk about that later on as we talk about some of the examples. There is a very specific example in God's word of someone who we know was saved but was not baptized. And the thief on the cross, we'll get to that later on. So as I get ready to do this, let me just open in prayer. And I pray if you're here today and you've never heard about baptism, if you're here today and you've never heard about the Lord's Supper or communion, then first and foremost, let me just pray for you that God would reveal his son, Jesus Christ, to you today alive. Father God, I thank you for the morning. I thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. And I thank you for these tent poles. I thank you for the structure that it gives us as a church to operate under. The idea of this big tent is there's so much room for so many different believers to operate under. We don't have to be under a pop-up shade where only a few people can get in. And it's, you know, just this limited space for limited people. Your word is inviting. You died for the sins of all mankind. And you want all of us to know you. So I pray that we would be that this morning. That we would be an open place where the word of God shines through. And the simplicity of your word speaks. May your spirit speak today to each and every one. And if there's someone today who does not know... That Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is sufficient. I pray that today they would see that truth and embrace it. We ask all these things in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. Now, I am someone that is majorly motivated by baptism. And I think that comes from a situation in my life when, when I was young and came to Christ. The church that we were from was in the desert. And when you're in the desert and you want to do baptisms, the place you want to do baptisms is in the water. So the church would bust everyone down to CDM. And we'd go to Pirate's Cove. And when you got a chance to go to Pirate's Cove with a large cohort of people, create this giant half-moon circle at Pirate's Cove and then stand someone smack dab in the front of them and have them publicly give their testimony, it was a spectacle for me that was life-changing. So when I went to the desert and had ministry there for 12 years, 
At the end of every summer, you know what we did? We went to San Clemente, which is my hometown beach. We walked down the, the steps with 100 people, went around a campfire, and we did the same thing. Every time at sunset, we had baptisms. And we allowed students to stand up there, parents, whoever had gotten saved during the year, and publicly profess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Now, next week, we're actually going to be doing one here, which is spectacular as well for the church. But in that setting at a beach, you got to realize there's a lot of people that just went to the beach to do a lot of different things. And all of a sudden, there's this huge contingency of people. And they're out there confessing Jesus Christ. And then I walk them out into the water, and depending on the waves, depending on the tide, let me tell you, some of those baptisms look more like I was fishing someone trying to, you know, baptize them. The, the tide was low. I had one girl who was so motivated and so afraid at the same time, she wore all her clothes. Jeans, full shirt, shoes, everything. She was paranoid of the water. But whatever it was, they confessed Christ in this public setting, and then boom, they were baptized in front of everyone. And I love that. But you know, the one thing we learned from that is that every single one of those baptisms occurred uh, the same way. So if you have your notes, let's read number seven. If you're old school and you want to read together, then we can read together because I really can't see right now. So here we go. (laughs) Baptism by immersion symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It is the public declaration of a person who has accepted Jesus Christ as their personal savior. Baptism does not save you, but shows the world that you have already been saved. And while baptism is not required for salvation, it is a biblical command and demonstrates one's love and obedience to Christ. Thank you. Yes, I'm officially at that age where that's getting blurry in this lighting. Um, There's some words that are bold in there. And so for all the small groups that are meeting or not meeting, it's going to be really important because that's what we're going to take a look at. The contents of this passage is loaded with scripture. So we're going to have to unpack each one of these words because each one of these words is very important. Starting with this first word, immersion. Matthew 3.16 records the account of Jesus Christ's baptism. And when it says that as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water from the Jordan River. The one thing that that clearly shows is that Jesus' baptism was by immersion, right? And we are followers of Jesus Christ. So when we as followers are following Jesus Christ, our goal is to be like Christ. In the areas that we can do the things that he has done, and it's clear, then we don't, it doesn't have to be subject to interpretation. Our goal is to emulate what Christ has done. Now the difference is, Christ was not baptized to forgive his sins, right? He was baptized, as the scripture says, for the fulfillment of all righteousness, so he, he allowed his will to be submitted to the Father's will. And when he was baptized, as he comes up out of the water, what's the scene? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit's there. And then God speaks and he says what? This is my son in whom I love. Well pleased, right? And from that moment, Jesus is done. Everything is good and everything falls into place, right? No, he goes straight into the wilderness and boom, ministry comes raining down on him. And I think that's so important for us when we think about immersion, when we think about baptism. For a lot of us, it's going to be the beginning of a a ministry. It's going to be the beginning of a whole new thing because it initiates the fact that you're publicly confessing something. And as he walked through that immersion, everyone around there saw what Jesus was doing. Now, the word baptism, baptizo, means something in Greek. It means to immerse, right? So you can't really make make something other sense because that's what it says. Even the Hebrew word, mikvah. 
That's a really cool word. The reason why is if any of you have ever been to Israel, and I know some of you have, one of the first things you're going to see in all the ancient ruins, I was talking with Pastor Eric, he said he has a lot of pictures of them, is mikvahs, right? And you may not know what that word is, but they're ritual, holy, there's a place where you have like a holy cleansing. It has seven steps entering into this kind of baptismal-like tank, and there's a process that the individual goes to. There's a pre-showering There's a walking down the stairs. Then even the water that fills the tank has to be rain or pure. Then once you enter into the watering, there's a process of of coming up and down and saying ritual prayers, followed by the exiting of the mikvah where you do not dry off. Now, I love this, right? They do not dry off. Why? So that the Shekinah of the mikvah experience goes with them throughout the day. I mean, baptism without immersion just, just is not the same thing. The account is so clear. Jesus wants us to know it represents something. And it represents something that's not just important, it's significant. What does it represent? First Peter 3.21. The water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, but not from the removal of dirt from your body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards Christ. A pledge of a clear conscience towards Christ. Now, that's so important because you're not being saved by the act of baptism. What you're being saved by is the profession of faith that comes from you before you're baptized. That's what's important. Now, it's a little bit of concern for me. There's actually a couple of churches, at least one in particular, that says if they don't baptize you, you're not saved. We can't make ordinances something that they're not. We can't make practices something that they're not because we take away from the fact that Whoever is baptized in Jesus' name is for the opportunity to confess Jesus, not to confess a denomination or a church. Does that make sense? Just use that kind of simple teaching when you're with people. It's never about what a church is doing. It's about what Christ has already done. And if we're followers of Christ, then we're not concerned about our denominational claim or unclaim, which is a benefit for the church's non-denominational status. Our concern is what the Word of God says. In that, we stand unified. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Instead, we need to see something about what it means. It's symbolic, but it's significant. How important is it? Well, the greatest example that's ever existed of what baptism is and is not is the wedding ring, right? Think about what the wedding ring is and is not. It can be white gold. It can be yellow gold. It can be rose gold. It could be titanium. Um, If it's my son, it can be silicone. It doesn't sound so precious at $4, but... um, it's it's symbolic. Who is it symbolic to? The person I'm married to, right? I'm I actually have a suntan, so I'm married whether I I'm married whether or not I wear the ring. But what the ring says is to all the world is I am in a happy, committed relationship, and I have professed my faith and love, my pledge to that individual. I have professed that in this symbolic thing. Now you can wear a ring on any finger, and it, all it means is you're fashionable, right? But when you put that ring on this finger and you stand in front of a group of people, you're saying something without saying something. And when you stand, believe it or not, in that little square where the cross is, when you stand there and you say, my name is Jeff Lee and I've been saved by the act of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. I receive that. I accept that. And I believe that Jesus had died for my sins. And I just wanted you to know that today. When you walk yourself through that public confession of faith, you're saying something that's not just important, but it's significant to the one that you're saying it to. And it's a reminder that you're not alone. Just like a ring has no beginning and no end. One of my favorite parts about the 
wedding ceremonies, when we talk about the ring. It's, it's symbolic of never ending, right? And as we walk through this, we're going to realize something. If we're with Christ in life, then we're with Christ in death. And that means we as believers don't die the same way that everyone else dies. We don't face death that way. The Bible actually says for us to die is what? Gain. That's why it's so important. It's symbolic of an already existing relationship. Already existing relationship. We follow the example of Christ as Paul said. Follow me as I follow Christ. Because I am a follower of Christ, I'm going to do the things that a believer should do. I'm going, to, I'm going to follow in such a way that shows it's not required, but it's an opportunity for me to do something that says, remember me. Remember what I've done. The thief on the cross is an amazing example. The thief on the cross is literally hanging next to Christ in his final moments. And after kind of mocking Christ openly... And seeing how Christ responds. Can you imagine that evangelism 101? No matter what the situation is, stay true to faith. Jesus hanging on the cross with these two criminals. And they're mocking him and saying all these things. And Jesus not only holds the line for them, but he finishes by saying, and forgive them for what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And the thief is so blown away by this that even in his incapacitated state, hung to the cross next to Jesus, he says, something's going on. Something about my life is telling me that something is going on. And he says, remember me. It's the worst confession of faith ever. You know, we, we have all these beautiful, elegant prayers that we love to pray, right? The Romans road, the this and that. We love to incorporate all this Bible stuff. He just says, remember me, because that's all he has in his heart. He doesn't even know what's going on. And Jesus says to him, I can't, brother, it's too late. Think about where you are, man. You've messed up. Your 99 lives are done. Jesus doesn't say anything like that. He says, today, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I cannot tell you how many times as a pastor I have used that verse to comfort mothers. I don't know why fathers are not as open about talking about. We have some dads here that are very open about talking about their prodigal sons. But I can tell you what, from the word of God, I have used that specific passage time and time and time and time again. And I know it frustrates Christians because he doesn't do anything. He doesn't get down and get baptized. He doesn't prove anything. He doesn't say anything else. But Jesus says it's sufficient. And I know there's parents out there that long for their prodigals to come home. I just want to encourage you, don't give up on them, even in their final breaths. Jesus loves people. And he died for people. And he doesn't care whether it's their first breath or last breath. Because you know what? He's the only one who knows when they're going to make that conversion, right? And so you as a parent hold that line. Never stop believing. And maybe even in their last moment, they might turn to Jesus Christ. His death, his burial, and his resurrection is sufficient. It was for the thief on the cross, and it still is for your son. It's a biblical command. You know, the last thing that Jesus said to the guys, you know, this great commission is go. Same word uh, we use for mountaineering. It's literally, it means like traversing, okay? As you're going up a mountain, you have to go. That word would have been very specific. And make and teach and what? Baptize. In whose name? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're doing something that reminds us of who Jesus is and what he has commissioned us to do. You know, when a boat is getting ready to be launched out to sea, they break, you know, champagne or some type of product on the front of the boat and they commission that boat for what it was meant to do, go sail. 
It was never meant to be built and then left in the shipyard. You commission that boat and you say, now go do the thing you were built to do. There's going to be good days. There's going to be bad days. There's going to be good seas and there's going to be bad seas. But for what you were built, go sail. And that's what God is trying to do with us. He's trying to commission us. The great commission is this commission on us to say, hey, you have been saved, not of your own faith, not of your own works, but by the work of Jesus Christ, you have been saved. Now, as the benefactor of that salvation, go and do the work that you were committed to do. I don't know what you were committed to do. I don't even know where you're committed to do it. I can tell you I'm not in the schools that you're in. I'm not at the job that you're at. I'm not at the gym you work out in. I might be at the haircutting place you go to because that's where I go. But I am not where you are. You have to go and do the work that God has commissioned you to do. And that's what a commission means. Go and do that. So when it comes to baptism and then people are like, uh, I don't know if I want to. It's not about want. It's not even about need. It's about understanding it's a command from our commander. And what does it do? It ultimately demonstrates love. It demonstrates love. Right? I mean, this is what a ring does. It demonstrates love. We are so grateful for what Jesus has done on the cross that the only way that we can say thank you is to wake up every morning and do the kind of things that shows other people that Jesus is the reason for the season, regardless of December. Right? The reason why you live, the reason why you breathe, the reason why the sun rose this morning. Do you understand who's holding that all in place? Because if you don't, then you're missing out on something. It's Jesus. He holds it all in place. The very axis, the rotation, everything about everything is a symbolic symbol to us that Jesus is holding it all in place. And when we know that and we know how much love he's already shown us, we can't help but want to do the things that show love to him. I think baptism, communion, maybe even tithing all fall into this category of things we don't understand and somehow we see them optional. We have a chance to do things. We have a chance to be something. We have a chance to be a follower of Christ and do things that show our love and our gratitude for what he has done for us. And the reason why it's so important for me is, Vic, do you have a couple of pictures up there for me stashed away? You do? Oh, gosh. Let's see. Who is that? Well, I told you guys I go to San Clemente and do all my baptisms. The problem was people didn't stop bodyboarding, catching waves, or screaming. That happened the whole time with me. But that is me and my daughter who's now 23 in a nursing school. And I am having the chance to baptize my daughter in public in front of all my friends, in front of all my family, in front of all of her friends and all of her family. And she gets to stand there and I get to help her read her little testimony. And we get to share in that moment. You know what that shows me? Not just love for the father, but the father having an opportunity to show love for her. Can you show me the next one, Vic? The only thing that makes that day even better was my son was there. My son, I only have one son. There's only one Lee son in our family tree left. You talk about pressure for one son to live under. By the way, PKs, pastor kids are not happy. For general, they, I was a business owner and life was good. And then one day I, God said, you know what? You're done with that. Go to school. And, and their title changed from Jeff's son to pastor Jeff's son. And everything changed for my kids. They were in a public school that was not friendly to them. They paid a severe price for being people who valued their sexual identity and would not do like the world would do. They paid a serious price for not drinking, cussing, and smoking. Not because I made them do those things. I simply presented them with an option. I didn't do those things, and God blessed me. You make the choice. So to baptize your son in front of your daughter, in front of your whole family, reminds me today, my son still walks with the Lord. And it's not an area of pride for me because he never walked with the Lord because of me. 
Matter of fact, it's when he was 16, I tried to explain to him how sorry I was that I was not a better dad for him. He's a very quiet, um, a lot like his father-in-law, and my son today is just an amazing blessing to me. But baptism brought us closer together. And finally, sorry, honey. Vic, next one, please. Tell me you did not remove it. That's my wife. Now, there's one more picture after this because my wife does not go in the water, ever. Up until that point, that's as deep as she's ever been in the ocean. (laughs) Jennifer will tell you, ocean, Jennifer, no, not mixing. But because her kids were being baptized, she was raised Quaker, by the way, so there's a reason why some people have never been baptized. This just, it wasn't part of how their church grew up. But the opportunity to see your kids be baptized and have that moment with your children not only says love, but it shows love. And the kids knew how absolutely fearful she was of water. you got to show the next one. Tell me I put it in there. I'm literally convincing her. That is her coming up out of the water and me looking at her going, I, I'm, the words I'm saying are, I can't believe you did it. <laughs> and my friend, we, we videotaped and took pictures of all baptisms from 2006 to... 2016 and we took them every single year we took pictures of the kids ever want to come back with but that particular picture right there has sat on our mantle as one of the two or three most sacred items we own in our 34 years of marriage because it's symbolic of something this is great don't get me wrong this is great i've made little pictures of different things this is great but that act right there was so symbolic for both of us to share with everyone else because it says love if baptism is something you've been fearful doing because you don't know what it ultimately says, let me just remind you what it ultimately says. How much you love Jesus and how grateful you are. He died for you. Shows obedience to Christ. Ultimately, Vic, you can change that because I'm sure my wife is just paranoid of that picture. I put one more slide up. Okay, good. Go back to that. Shows obedience to Christ. If there's something we need to do, if there's something we need to be, it's, we need to have obedience. Obedience is not a bad word. Sometimes I think people hear practices or different things and they think, oh, it's punishment, right? Like it's some kind of purgatory on earth for Protestants, these things that we have to do. It's not purgatory. It's not punishment. It's privilege. It's we get to do, right? There's a big difference between have to do and get to do. You don't have to tithe. You don't have to come to church. You don't have to take communion. You don't have to be back. You don't have to do any of that stuff. You get to do all those things. Now, what your attitude is in those, I don't know. But if you haven't been baptized because you think, well, it just doesn't mean that much. Not Maybe not to you, but what it means to the Father, what it means to the world, and what it means to your church is different. And we're obedient to Christ. Just like when our children are obedient to us, what does it say? It says that solid food is for the mature. It means you understand what God's word says and you embrace it as being beneficial for your walk. Right? You can eat, you can drink milk all you want. You can be a 12 year old and try to live on milk, but at some point your teeth are going to rot and things aren't going to work out. You can crawl your whole life if you want. Right? But at some point to move from milk to maturity is to say, you know what? I was designed to walk. I need to get up. Maybe my first steps are wobbly, but I need to spiritually speak and stop crawling and get up and walk. And it's not easy to publicly confess. It's not easy to do, you know, marriage. A lot of people, they panic up there and they sweat. And, and some people during their oaths have inadvertently said the Pledge of Allegiance. That's my wife. I looked at her, she looked at me, everything was great, I was making my pledge, and all of a sudden, 
I don't know where the words that I wrote to her went, but all that came out was one nation under God. And then, and, and we, and the pastor literally said to Jennifer, what was that? She's like, I think it was, his, it really wasn't guys. It was really the pledge. Because what? What was I saying? I was saying I love someone. I was saying this is the person that I believe God has designed me to be with for the rest of my life. I'm so excited. And I'm delusional simultaneously. <laughs> Acts 22.16 says this. Such a cool little simple verse. What are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized. If you're here this morning and that was the first time you got to hear it, that officially is, by the way, the baptism class. Today after church... In the official room of remembrance, green room, whatever you like to call things around here, through that door and to the left, we're going to meet. Me and E are going to meet with some people who want to get baptized. We have like four or five people for next week. But if you just heard that today and you thought, you know what, I'm ready to get baptized. Maybe I was dipped or sprinkled at some point in my life and I didn't understand what it means. Okay, let's back up for one second and talk about what that means. You can dip or sprinkle someone who can't publicly profess Christ. Right? If you have like a five-year-old or a baby or something and a family wants to stand up there and dedicate a child or dedicate an individual, you might dip or sprinkle as a symbolic gesture of what you're intending to Proverbs 22, 6, to train up that child, right? But at the point that individual has the opportunity to publicly profess who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, there's only one way to be baptized, And if any of you have ever been dipped or sprinkled or spat or whatever form of baptism has happened and you're like, I don't know, it's okay. It's okay. Take a deep breath. Like I said, my wife was raised Quaker. They they don't talk about it. It's not even a conversation in church. But take a deep breath today because now you've heard the truth about what it is. It's symbolic. The upright position, right? You're sitting there upright, dry, old, death. Then the lay down position under, immersion, covered, rinsed, cleansed, made anew. In who? In Christ. Raised to a new life in Him. Why? Because as Romans 3 says, if we were buried with Him in death, then we're also raised with Him in new life. So come after church today and next week, please take me up on getting baptized. Next one, last one we got... Eight, this is communion. This is communion. If you want to go to your notes, we'll read this one together. And I will attempt to read again with you if you want to read communion. Communion, the Lord's Supper, is an ordinance given to all believers by Jesus Christ to help us remember his sacrifice for us and symbolize the new covenant. The elements of bread and juice are tangible symbols of Christ's body and blood, which he willingly gave to pay for our sins. Communion is not a means of salvation. Rather, it is a testament of a believer's faith in and among the work of the cross. A lot easier to read in the light. The atonement, atoning work of Christ. Almost easier to read in the light. Thank you, E. A, it happens. I'm just not ready to wear glasses up here. But uh, just like baptism, baptizo is a word. It's hard to try to make it something that it's just not saying clearly. Communion is a word. And what it literally means is sharing. Sharing. What it means is when we come together every five weeks, six weeks, nine weeks around here, I don't know officially what our rhythm is with that, but when we come together and we share as a community, we share a meal. It's symbolic of a meal to remind ourselves of what? Who we take in, 
Who gives us strength and the price that was paid for us to live? We get to do that as a community, community, community. That was commune. Sarah, I'm tired, Sarah. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm hot and I'm tired. We get to do that as a community of believers who then share in the remembrance of the event. We're not communing about anything else. We're not communing about, um, you know, I got to say, sometimes as a pastor, people come talk to you and say, I can't do communion. Like, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not saying I watch everyone, but I pretty much watch everyone. And um, you can't help it. You're standing right here. It's like, I always wonder why people don't take communion. So I have gone through the years and I've asked, hey, um, brother, sister, I noticed you didn't take communion. Something up? They're like, Pastor Jeff, man, I love you, man. Thanks for noticing that. But I just, man, I just don't feel right. You know, I'm not, I'm not living in such a way that I think t- taking communion can be dangerous. We'll talk about this in a minute. It could be dangerous, right, if you take it wrong. Okay, I understand that. But is why you're not taking it more important than why Jesus said to take it? Two options here, right? You could, you could not feel worthy, but Jesus said do it in such a way as to remember me, remember why you're even considered worthy. I tell people this. Communion is more about our relationship. It's not about salvation. It's more about our relationship with Christ. And the symbolance and significance of doing it is that we get to come together to talk about who he is and what he's done for us, not about what we're going through or what we're feeling. You're making communion about you. None none of us is worthy. Can can I just state that emphatically for the record? If a pastor or someone you know says, "I, I deserve communion, I'm worthy of communion. None of us is worthy of communion. Why do you think I almost cry every single time I do communion? I don't feel worthy of doing communion with you. You, You'd have to be delusional to think that you're worthy of someone dying for you. Right? Who are we? What have we done? Someone dies for us and we feel worthy of that? I mean, it's mind-blowing. As a pastor, for me, it is mind-blowing that how many times I've done communion and yet just overwhelming to try to even go up there and go, let me walk you through this. This is my body. This is my blood poured out for you. Oh, by the way, it's, when they say my body and then broken, you got to be careful about sometimes they say my body broken for you. His body was not broken, right? That's scriptural. What was broken was the bread. So just the verbiage of how communion goes down sometimes is just like it's nerve wracking for me because I don't want to say something that's not scriptural. Like I'm representing something that to me is sacred. And I know, Eric, we talked about the series Sacred Church and the Sacred Thing or whatever. But to me, communion is that moment where we get to sit down at the table, right? Communion happened when? It happened in the last week. You know, the last event that he has with the guys. In the week of the triumphal entrance and now just before his, you know, departure, he sits down with the guys and he eats. You know, why do you think the small groups are so powerful? Because they're simple church. They're not complex just a bunch of brothers and sisters, broken, sitting around and eating food and hanging out and doing life. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be talking about what communion symbolizes, what it doesn't symbolize. The instructions first came to the scriptures in, uh, I like the First Corinthians passage, First Corinthians 11, 17 to 22, and then 23 through 26. And the reason why it's broken up like that and I like it is because it first says how not to do it. Right? Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. There's instructions on how we're supposed to do things. We don't have to be creative and make things up. 
God does not want us to walk in such a way that we walk blind. He says, don't do it like the Corinthians. See, the Corinthians had turned communion into this world-class event. You came early. You ate a lot. You drank a lot. And you literally indulged. And so Paul says, I don't know what you guys are thinking, but you have completely missed the heart of who Jesus is and who God's son is and how significant it is that it stays simple. A carpenter, a fisherman, a bunch of regular guys, guys who would walk away as soon as Jesus dies. Where do all the apostles and disciples go? Back to their old job. And three days later, what does Jesus have to do? He has to restore them for 40 days to remind them of everything. These guys are not superheroes. The scripture is not full of people that we can't emulate. They're full of regular people just like you and me. If he purposely selected Galilean fishermen too and then kept walking, he didn't have a lot of other options except for more fishermen. And he selected two more. It's simple people, broken people, sitting down and doing church. We're not here to indulge in our own self. We're not here to indulge in any of the elements. We're here to remind ourselves of who Christ is and what he's done. Death, burial, and resurrection. We get to do this every time we what? We do it. That's the point of doing it, whether you do it once a week, once a month, once a year. That's a little bit more subjective. But as often as you do eat this bread, and as often as you do take this cup, do this in remembrance of me. Today we're going to take communion. Today there's going to be a moment, and we'll provide you with just a a couple of minutes to just kind of process your thoughts. But whatever your thought is, if it is something that has held you back from doing communion, I pray today in the name of Jesus that you would free yourself from thinking you are not worthy. I pray today that you would receive what has been given by God's Son and through the power of the Holy Spirit, redemption and cleansing that comes from the name of Jesus and get past what you think and get past what you feel and get past how you have processed it and just say, you know what, it's not for you. It's for Him. We do it for Him to remind ourselves how grateful and thankful we are for that piece of equipment that represents death to so many others. But to us, it's life, right? And that's why we have such an awesome opportunity. As we go through this verbiage and as as I get a chance to read it to you, I just want to remind you that it's nothing special. There are other faiths and religion that teach the elements become all these different and special and unique things. And the truth of that is, if it was meant to be something special or unique, we would have that in Scripture. But he says it's just simply, it's my body. The bread is my body. When you take that bread into your body, what you're reminding your body is, it is the power of my body that charges you up, that keeps you going, that holds you clean. So you can stand Romans 8 in front of my father one day, and there is no condemnation for those in Christ. What do you mean? Christ is in us. When we take communion, that's what we're reminding ourselves of. And what does the cup represent? Simple. It's just juice. It represents the blood that was spilled out for us. Right? I mean, even that scene where if you if you hadn't had any broken bones, then at the end of the crucifixion, before the sun goes down, in order to ensure that you were dead, the only process they had to ensure that was to stop you from lifting, was to break your legs. Right? And they pierced his side, and, they, and the blood and the water flew flown out from his side and they understood that he was dead there was nothing that needed else to be done you can't fake that you're not going to fake an entire crowd and roman centurions that you're faking death people say oh it's fake there's nothing fake about it they do they did it every day they were really good at it 
right? They were really good at putting people up and humiliating them in front of others to say, if you choose this thing this way, by the way, that was one of the earliest names for the church, the way, right? Like if you choose the way like this, this will be your end as well. And what happened to a lot of the disciples and apostles afterwards? How did they die? In the same way. So much so that Paul said, turn me upside down. I'm not even worthy to be in that position. That's what it meant. 